Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It was a great 4th of July. Hope you made the most of it. And uh, remember what it was all about. God bless America. And hello, everybody, on a Thursday, July 5. Here we go. Another edition of the uh, Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, where the festivities were uh, in full, full bore yesterday. Uh, uh, capping off with a magnificent, spectacular fireworks display over the Washington Mall, watched by uh, uh, tens of thousands, I don't know how many people, uh, packed into the Washington Mall on the front lawn of the United States Capitol, on all the streets around the Capitol, where uh, I was uh, among the crowd. It was the largest gathering of people in the National Mall in history ever, period. And it was the most spectacular fireworks show ever seen in any nation's capital in the history of the world, period. period. Right. Not even the Roman Empire had anything to bear with this. <laughs> period. Yes. And, of course, uh, the, uh, hundreds and hundreds of members of military families and friends and supporters of the president packed on the uh, south lawn of the White House. Uh, it was a great show, and I uh, hope it was a great day for you, wherever you uh, happened to be. Uh, one of these days, I'd love to go to New York and see that uh, the Macy's fireworks show on the uh, East River. It looks like the most spectacular of all the shows around anywhere. At any rate, great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We've got lots and lots to talk about. Uh, and uh, yes, the news cycle did not stop yesterday, so we'll catch up on everything that's happened since we were last together on Tuesday. And your comments always anticipated and welcome on Twitter. At BP Show. Send us your comments on the news of the day at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, did you have a hot dog yesterday? Uh, no, I did not. Actually. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't either. But Joey Chestnut had a couple for us oh, since oh, we he, didn't have he any. He ate my share. Yeah, right. the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest happened yesterday in Coney Island, <laughs> and Joey Chestnut won his 11th. 
11th hot dog eating title. Yeah, right. He, in fact, set a record yesterday. He ate, this is disgusting, 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I know. And buns. And, and buns. And Not just buns. hot dogs. Hot no. dogs and buns. Uh, now, he didn't have mustard and onion on his <laughs> hot dogs, which I like. Same. I'm a mustard and onion guy. That, he didn't have any of that. I watched that video. It's gross. No, I'm not, not going to watch gross. that. It's gross. Last year, and he's, he's not that fat. He's not, he's that, not fat. that big. He's not a big dude. No. He ate 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes. That breaks the record that he set last year when he ate 72 hot dogs in 10 minutes. He was asked afterwards about why he's so good at this. You know, I got into competitive eating because I love to eat, and I love beating the heck out of people, but... uh. So I, I tried to just have fun, and, and I was enjoying the food and, and beating the heck out of the guys next to me. He just loves to eat. You know what they say, Bill? Do, <laughs> do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. I guess just eating hot dogs is a way of life. So now. he gets this mustard ribbon. Mustard belt. Belt. Yeah, does they call get, it the mustard belt. Does any money go with it? I think, yeah, you get some money. I'm not sure what it is, but you definitely get some money. The competitive eating circuit is... What a thing to be cool. known for. Right. You know what I mean? It's it's really it really is gross is the only word I can think of. Yeah, it's gross. At any rate, moving on. Who says romance is dead? A guy just outside of Washington D.C. in Leesburg, Virginia, walked into a jewelry store. He wanted to buy a pair of diamond earrings for his girlfriend. He had a credit card. He tried to pay. Turns out it was a bad credit card. So they said you can't have these earrings. So he grabbed them. And he swallowed them and walked out the door. Now, the police have caught the man, but, of course, they you know what wait. they have to do. Yes, they, they have, have to, to wait, wait. <laughs> to get the stolen merchandise. They did eventually get the earrings back. I'm not sure who would want to wear those uh, anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they got the evidence, but also, what are they going to do with them? I guess it could have been the engagement ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. He had to sit in a jail cell. They put him in a jail cell without oh, a toilet no. so uh, that they could get the oh, earrings back. Oh. Well, well, those two stories, what a way to start the day. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. He's a racist. 49% of Americans say Donald Trump is a racist. <clears throat> yeah. And he proved it yesterday, or the day before yesterday, by what he did about affirmative action. Oh, so much to talk about. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Hope you had a great, great 4th of July. Welcome to the Bill Press Show on this July 5, Thursday, July 5, the day after uh, great firework celebrations all across the country. Uh, I was part of the crowd down on Pennsylvania Avenue here in the nation's capital. Watched the spectacular uh, display of fireworks over the Washington Mall. It really is great if you ever have a chance to see it. Of course, you can probably watch it on television, too, um, where the fireworks are poised. that they, they look like they're coming right out of the top of the Washington Monument. So whether you're uh, down in the eastern part of town, western part of town, the eastern part of town, south or north or on the river or wherever, everybody can see them, and it's really spectacular. Uh, and most of all, of course, to celebrate what this, what a great country we are and how far we have come, but also how far we still have to go. And uh, as I heard several people say yesterday, yeah, it was a happy fourth, happy that we're still here despite 18 months of Donald Trump. That's the miracle of uh, I, America. I decided to just yep. not celebrate America and just enjoy the fireworks. That yeah. was well, that was my move this week, this year. Right. 
or celebrate America, but somehow divorce the guy who's now in the White House from right. America. Right. Which, by the way, <clears throat> is true, and which we should all do. Uh, so great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, where do we start? I gotta say, you know what? Uh, there were four, three polls that I saw yesterday that I thought were really, really interesting. And uh, let's start there. There was one poll, 4th of July, okay? Uh, what is your favorite 4th of July food? Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, what would you say, Peter? Uh, I'm not a big hot dog guy. You're more a burger guy? Yeah, more of a burger guy, I guess. It's down to burgers or dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a turkey Uh, burger guy. I forget who did this poll. I saw it yesterday. So among all um, Americans, favorite 4th of July food, hamburger, 35%. Okay. Hot dog, 28%. Okay. I'm a hot dog guy, but 4th of July, I mean, I had a hot dog. Sure. I'm sorry, when we had a barbecue last weekend. Sure, 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 sure. A hot dog, right? Sure. Uh, now, this is what's interesting. Uh, for hamburgers, among Clinton voters, thirty-one per, only 31%. Trump voters, 39%. Okay. For burgers. Yeah. Uh, hot dogs, overall 28%. Clinton voters, 33%. Uh, Democrats were hot dogs there. Uh, and Trump voters, only 29%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Trump yeah. voters are clearly Burgers. bigger hot burger guys. Well, yeah, I should rethink right. my stance on being pro-burger. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Can I change my answer? So I was surprised that it weren't a higher percentage for either one. But anyway. I mean, what else do you eat on the 4th of July? Chicken. I guess. <clears throat> Grilled tofu? If you're a weenie, you eat chicken. <laughs> yeah. Oh, tofu. Yeah, if you're... <laughs> I'm never going to say it. Okay. So then the other part I saw was, and this was... Um, uh, Gallup, actually. Are you proud to be an American? In fact, are you extremely, the word was, are you extremely proud to be an American? I got a feeling the number's going to be a little low this year. <laughs> uh, actually, the numbers have gone down in every category but one. Wow. Overall, three years ago, 2015, mm-hmm, last year of... Uh, Let's see, who was president then, Yeah, Bill? right, yeah. 2015, 54% of Americans said they were extremely proud to be an American. Uh, this year, 47%. So it went down wow. 54 to 47. Among Democrats, Ugh. it went down from 47% in 2015 to 32%. Damn. Today. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Again, identifying. I mean, but I, I can see that. By the way, they have put me in that category. Absolutely. Right? No, I'm proud to be an American. I'm not extremely proud because we got this buffoon in the White House. What's there to be proud of right now? Right. And he does reflect on all the rest of us, sadly. And we've pissed off all of our Atlantic allies, plus Canada, plus Mexico. I mean, the only friends we have now are Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. I mean, look, if you if you and talk about America and the public face of America public and who America. we voted for and who represents us and our values, right. you just have to look at Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. But right. what's, what is there to be proud of about yeah. that? Among independents, it was 2015 again. This is 2015, 2018. Uh, 2015, 53% of independents extremely proud today, 42%. Damn. Of independence. That's a big drop. Yeah. So among overall Democrats and independents, uh, surprise, surprise, among Republicans. Oh, no. 
It's gone up from 68% to 74%. Oh, God. They're the Trumpers. Yeah. Here's a guy who pays off a prostitute or porn star $130,000. Yeah, we're proud of him. God bless America. Extremely proud of him. Yeah, 22 women accused him of sexual assault. Yeah, he's our guy. Right. Yeah, there it is. So at any rate, I thought that was very interesting. And then another little insight into Donald Trump. So Quinnipiac came out with a poll yesterday. Well, do you think the president of the United States is actually is a racist? Is that going too far to call him a racist? Overall, all among all voters, 49% of Americans say, yes, Donald Trump is a racist. They don't say he says racist things. They're not saying he has racist tendencies or he encourages racism or what. No, they say he outright, he is a racist. And 44% of all American voters say that his immigration policies, all this hardline stuff, all this ripping kids from their families, and uh, all this talk about uh, killing the Dreamers program, arresting everybody who comes across the border and and treating them as a criminal, the zero-tolerance policy, all of that hardline stuff is a result, 44% say, is a result of his racist beliefs. Uh, I think the American people are seeing through this guy, right? Yeah. 49% absolute outright racist, 44% that his immigration policies are driven not by national security concerns, which he says all the time, right, but by racist beliefs. And that's been shown in many ways. I mentioned killing the Dreamers program, doing, I mean, starting out with when he announced for president calling all immigrants uh, criminal from Mexico, from south of the border, criminals and rapists. <clears throat> oh, by the way, there are some, must be some good people among them, too. I'm sure there are. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, and and all the, the ugly language that he uses, equating anybody who comes across the border as a member of a uh, MS-13 gang. But at any rate, Donald Trump won more racist policy over the weekend. Uh, this was Tuesday, day before the 4th. Uh, the Trump administration announced that they were gutting, pulling the plug on seven executive actions, executive orders signed by President Obama, which were guidelines to universities on how they could voluntarily, constitutionally consider race in order to achieve diversity on their campuses. Now, notice, this is not something universities had to do, but was say, since we all agree that diversity is important, at least we used to agree on that, uh, that here's a way that within the law, under the Constitution, I, I stress this word again, voluntarily you can consider race as part of the Factors that are taken into account when you're uh, building your student body or, or accepting new admissions uh, in in the fall. Seven of those totally don't exist anymore. Trump administration reversed on them, basically saying diversity is not a goal. We don't care about diversity. We don't care if there's an all-white campus or whatever. We don't care if African Americans or or Latinos make up maybe just 2% of the population. Don't, don't care. Diversity is not a goal, and universities don't have to do anything at all. 
no consideration of race at all uh, in their admissions policy. Uh, in other words, make America great again, as we've said before, really does mean for Donald Trump, make America white again. Uh, and they proved it one more time. Uh, no wonder, no wonder 49 percent of the American people say that Donald Trump is a racist. That's he the does, thing. I mean, he does everything he can to prove it. The optics on this are just so bad. Yeah. They, they don't yeah. care. No. They just don't care. I mean, look, you. I've seen plenty of people, progressive people, make the argument that affirmative action isn't perfect. It needs to be refined. Yeah. And 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 and, and, and by that by that point, I mean like better for minorities, right? Like clearer cut for how they can apply. Uh, for colleges. And so, yeah, does it need to be fixed and improved? Sure it can. By getting rid of the things that are in place to make it easier right now? No, that's not how it works. It's one extreme or the other. And by the way, this is sort of a resolved issue. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, at one time it it went too far and the, and the courts stepped in and said, wait a minute, you know, you can't, you can't just say any, Af- any person of color, any kid of color gets higher consideration or special privileges or special consideration because they're a person of color over a white student whose grades are just as good. The court said, no, 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 that's wrong. And so the university had been grappling with this for a time. And about seven or eight years ago, the Obama administration put out again some guidelines for, okay, here's how you can do this and all stay within the law. And it was working. It was working. And it was all, I keep stressing that, all volunteer, voluntarily. The Justice Department was not going out and and arresting university presidents who were not going along with these guidelines. It was all volunteer. The Trump administration says, that's not even a goal of ours. We don't even we don't give a damn uh, about diversity. And they reversed, reversed all of those policies. Uh, a lot more going on uh, in news of the day. Big, big announcement by the Senate Intelligence Committee, by the way, on Tuesday, again, they, they didn't wrap up their report, their investigation of uh, Russia's in, interference in the 2016 election. But Richard Burr, the Republican chairman of the committee, came out with their conclusion so far. And their conclusion is unanimous that this doesn't sound like it's a big deal because we all know it's true. But this is the Senate Intelligence Committee now affirming that, Russia, yes, Russia meddled in the 2016 presidential election. Yes, they did so in order to help Donald Trump and hurt Hillary Clinton. And, of course, yes, they succeeded. In other words, the Senate Intelligence Committee is saying that the 17 intelligence agencies, which concluded that, which reported that, by the way, in what was it, January, I believe, 2017, but over over like a year and a half ago, 17 of our intelligence committees. In fact, I think it was even in November of 2016, before the before uh, certainly before Trump was sworn in. Uh, They've, they've concluded, so they agree with the intelligence agencies that, yes, they were involved in the election, interfering in the election, for the purpose of helping elect Donald Trump. This is the Senate Intelligence Committee in a Republican-controlled Senate with a Republican chairman, Richard Burr. Of course, the House Committee under Devin Nunez said there's no evidence of that at all. They're the outliers. And it reminds us again that to this date, to this date, 
even though seven intel- 17 intelligence agencies and the Senate Intelligence Committee have all concluded what Russia was up to, Donald Trump has yet to admit that Russia did anything at all to interfere in the 2016 election. Why? Because he believes to acknowledge that Russia was playing games and helping him undermines the legitimacy of his presidency. Again, it's all about me, 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 Donald Trump. So Russia did that. They got away with it. Donald Trump won't do anything about it, hasn't done anything about it, and will not. And they're doing the same thing again this year, and they'll do the same thing in 2020, and Donald Trump doesn't care. Doesn't care. Won't do anything because he believes that if he ever admits that Russia was trying even even if there was no collusion, even if he did not help them, he believes that if he admits that they were trying to help him, then he will not be considered uh, duly elected. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're That's dealing what we're with. That's what we're dealing with, a child. We're dealing with this petty, petty child, right, uh, who lets Russia get away with undermining our very uh, democracy uh, and let them uh, and do nothing about it. There it is for Donald Trump. Oh, man. It's, what a, you know, it, it really is such a simple equation when you, like, why is Donald Trump so against letting this Russia investigation happen? And you, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just pure ego. It's pure ego, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. And what he ought to say, you know, we've said this before, what he ought to say is, yeah, let's have this investigation and let's find out what they were up to and then let's... Boom! Go after them. Make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, that's what right. a, that's what an American president should do. So, yeah, just let's get let the facts out there and said he's tried to undermine it from uh, from the very beginning. Oh man! Um, <laughs> so on the on other news, uh, by the way, a couple of little uh, updates. Uh, we I must admit that we um, uh, got something wrong on Tuesday, uh, and. Um, that has to do with whether or not the White House and Donald Trump, uh, I reported, because it was reported I twice in the Washington Post, and I believe it was on Huffington Post. I'm not sure where else. But fake I saw news. It fake twice. news. Yeah. It turned out to be fake news. Sort of. Because I reported that the president had refused the request, turned down the request, of the mayor of Annapolis that flags be flown at half-staff. Uh, to honor the memory of the five journalists who were killed at the Capitol Gazette, uh, mowed down by a gunman, crazed gunman, up in Annapolis, uh, in their uh, in their uh, the office of their of their newspaper, uh, and yet the flags did fly at half mast on on Tuesday. Um, what happened was uh, apparently the mayor the mayor I, she was the one who was quoted in the stories. The mayor said she made the request to the White House, and she was officially turned down by the White House. Uh, what happened in between, it appears, is that somebody at the White House turned down the request. So she was denied, but then it was reversed by the White House, and the flags did fly at half-staff. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about this at the news conference, and she sort of admits that somebody did this. <clears throat> and then uh, when the president found out that they were getting some bad press for it, uh, he changed his mind. 
I'm not sure on the, the process, but um, there's a certain protocol uh, that is followed. It was, um, but once the president heard about the mayor's specific request to him, um, he fulfilled the mayor's request in order that the flags be lowered. So just want to set the record straight. If we got that wrong, uh, we got it wrong based on news reports, but we also got it wrong based on something that had really happened. Yeah. That that she, that the first, first request uh, had been denied. Uh, also, if you were with us on Tuesday, you know that the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, was here. One of the things we talked about was the stunning uh, upset of uh, Joe Crowley, uh, the fourth most powerful Democrat in the House of Representatives, by this great new face, political face in the country, uh, a Bernie Sanders organizer, Alexandria Ortez um, Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez. That's a name we're going to be struggling with for a while. At any rate, that caught the attention. So Tom Perez had some great things to say about her. Caught the attention of Laura Ingram, who said uh, on Fox News Tuesday night, oh, no, 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 this is the worst thing that could happen to this country. And she plays a clip from our show Tuesday morning. This right. is how the head of the Democratic National Committee describes her in this moment. Let's watch. Okay. The fourth most powerful Democrat in the United States Congress, uh, Congressman Joe Crowley, um, was knocked out by a young woman, Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 28 years old, never ran for office before. She represents the future of our party. Uh, she ran a spirited campaign. Future of our party. Yeah. She obviously is very young. She thinks basically everything should be free. You should get free college. Everybody's guaranteed dignified health care. I don't know exactly what that is, but right. free, 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 free. And apparently abolish ICE, so no, no yeah. crackdown on human smuggling, child sex trafficking. Right. It's wild out there. What's wild is that somebody's got a job on television telling so many lies in one sentence. Yeah. I mean, it's wild Jesus, out there. Come yes, on. it yeah. is. Yeah, it's wild that she, she that Laura Ingram has a job on Fox News. Yeah. Look, by the way, amen to Tom Perez. Alexandria Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez, right? Got it right that time? She is the future of the Democratic Party. Damn straight she is. She's young, person of color. She's a progressive. And she's talking about the right issues. And, and she identified with the people of that district over a good guy, but an establishment Democrat who had sort of lost touch with a changing uh, district. And she wasn't saying everything ought to be free, saying that every American has a right to basic health care, to be able to buy it for their families, which is what Obamacare tried to do, not in a perfect way, as you know, but tried to do. That's not giving it away. People were Paying for it. There's an interesting and, tell in that Laura Ingram clip where she says, you know, she ran on dignified health care. I don't even know what that means. You don't even know what that means? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't even know what dignified health care means? Like that, that should tell you something about the Republican Party. Uh, that's a very elitist comment. It, damn straight it is. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, Yes, free college tuition. Yeah, we talked about this before. That, that, uh, that's a great American idea. We have free elementary school. We have free high school. And as Bernie Sanders said, the next step in that equation is if we really want to re re remain a strong 
country leading the world is free college education for those who can't afford the private universities. Uh, nothing extreme or radical about that. Uh, even Hillary Clinton came around to that toward the end of the campaign. So, um, yes, uh, there is a, um, I don't know how it blue wave, but there's a progressive wave that is building in the Democratic Party. Hasn't, hasn't taken over the Democratic Party yet, but it's going in that direction. I believe it's the right direction, and I believe it's the winning direction, the winning direction for, uh, for certainly for 2020 and this year for 2018 uh, and beyond. Well, one thing good is um, we escaped a war. I don't know whether you heard about that. Um, yeah. Um, Wait, what? We did escape. We know that the war in Iraq is still sort of dragging on. The war in Afghanistan now, what, 14, 50 years is dragging on. We also got the war in Syria, and we got the war in, which we don't hear about much, in Somalia and in Yemen, where Donald Trump has sort of extended America's presence up through all through northern Africa. But it looks like we uh, ducked a bullet, so to, so to speak. In Venezuela, Associated Press reported yesterday that back in August of 2017, Donald Trump was having a meeting with uh, three of his national security advisors, then Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, H.R. McMaster, the Defense Secretary, James Mattis, and the U.N. Ambassador, uh, Nikki Haley, when suddenly the subject of Venezuela came up with this, their uh, then leftist president, Hugo Chavez, and, uh, and Donald Trump said, why don't we just... Either Chavez was still there or Maduro was was already in. But at any rate, I left this government. Uh, so what? But Donald Trump suddenly suggested, why don't we just invade Venezuela? Oh, my God. What do we do? Seriously, why don't we just invade? And they, they sort of like, like were stunned. And he said, no, I'm serious. I mean, if we don't like what they're doing, why don't we just send in the Marines? After all, he said, you know, we did that. In Cuba years ago, we did that in Nicaragua years ago. What was that little island that Ronald Reagan did? Granada? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granada, right? So let's just invade Venezuela. Uh, fortunately, wiser, in this one case, wiser heads prevail for now. Think uh, about that as you see everybody celebrating 4th of July and mm -hmm. what a great country we are and how much we love the troops. That like That's how he views them. Mm -hmm. just, just send them over yeah. there. It's fine. Yeah, Venezuela. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Uh, and on the political front, love this. Love this. Uh, we might have another candidate for president. You know, we've heard there are a lot of, a lot of people thinking of running uh, on the Democratic side. I mean, if we start the list, we're going to leave somebody out. But, you know, I mean, it's Joe Biden. It's Bernie Sanders. It's Elizabeth Warren. It's Kirsten Gillibrand. It's Amy Klobuchar. It's Tim Ryan. Who am I forgetting, Peter? It's... Kamala Kamal Harris, Harris, yeah. You go on and Keep on. Keep going. I mean, it's it's, so yeah, it's Cory Booker, yeah. right? Okay. Well, uh, maybe Tom Steyer. Don't maybe who's the guy from uh, Starbucks? Oh yeah, uh, I forgot his name now. But yeah. See, uh, Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz from Starbucks. Now a new face, Michael Avenatti. What? Yes, Stormy Daniels' attorney who said, you know, somebody's got to take on Donald Trump, and if he runs for re-election. 
And I don't see, this is what Avenatti uh, tweeted out and, and gave a couple of interviews yesterday. If, and I don't see any other Democrat who can beat him, then yes, I will run against Donald Trump. He was asked yesterday by Jim uh, Schuto on <laughs> CNN, what the hell qualifies you to be president? So I'm going to start very, very basic question. Why would you be qualified to be president? Well, I think I'd be qualified because I have three things that this president lacks, Jim. Uh, brains, heart, and courage. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> what is happening? First of all, uh, I have to agree with uh, Michael Avenatti. Those are three things that Donald Trump lacks. Yes, fair. Brain, fair. brain heart, and courage. But at the same time, no, come on, Michael. You're doing a good job defending Stormy Daniels. Yeah, stick to your day job. Stay in your lane, dude. Yeah, stay exactly. Stay in your lane. Stick to your day job. I and, like uh, him very much. Don't make me dislike him. No, <laughs> like, no, no. Don't run for president. No, I mean the last thing we need is somebody else who is on TV and lets his ego get out of control. And I love so much being on TV. Let me take my TV producer skills to the White House. Uh-uh. God, no. God. We already, we've already done that. We don't need to repeat the performance with anybody, no matter how good a lawyer he is. All right. Guys, so much to talk about. We're just getting started. Uh, take a quick break. Ellen Nielsen joins us a little, coming up now, right after the break from Vox to talk about more of the news of the day, particularly on the political front. It is the Bill Press Show, day after the 4th of July. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we go again uh, on uh, this Thursday, July 5, the Bill Press Show, rolling right along with the news of the day. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us as we reach out to you coast to coast on uh, just about every platform we can find. Uh, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on the great Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network, and joining you, of course, on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT and statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And we're brought to you today by the UFCW, United Food and Commercial Workers Union, those good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone, a proud working union family feeding, serving, and providing for America's hardworking families. Um, we salute them, thank them for their good work, and uh, their support of the program, direct you to their website to find out more at ufcw.org. And joining us in studio from Vox, uh, covering um, all things political, particularly on the Democratic side, Ella Nielsen. Ella, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Peter, what's going on out there? Yes, indeed. A couple of comments uh, where you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Now, we played the clip of Tom Perez on the show from Tuesday that Laura Ingram had. We had a couple of people saying that they hadn't gotten a chance to see it. You could find the podcast in iTunes for Bill Press and Friends or Bill Press and iTunes. You can find it there. By the or way, every day. Every single day. Every single day. Even yeah. on the weekends, we put up special content that you can't hear during the week. Uh, also, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. So go check it out there if you didn't get a chance to see Tom Perez. Uh, it was he a really good interview. said that, and we'll talk about this, Ella. He said that uh, Alexandria or uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez, we're going to have to say it 50 times to get it straight, 
is the future of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. which yeah. I believe he's right. So go check that out. Also, uh, on Twitter, Walker Ogden, uh, the comment about Laura Ingram talking about dignified health care. He says, dignified health care, Laura Ingram doesn't know because she has never had to be burdened by no health care. She's always had health care. Uh, another comment, um, <laughs> I hesitate to read this. We did the story about Joey Chestnut. Uh, and then we yeah. followed up with a story about the thief that stole the, that swallowed the earrings and they had to wait for them to pass, for them to recover it. Uh, Brent McDonald says, with the chestnut story followed by the details of the earring heist, uh, I think you guys have accomplished the coverage of both ends of the news spectrum. <laughs> uh, I mentioned our YouTube page, youtube.com slash I just want to point out they were both Peter's stories, not mine. Guilty okay. as charged. Was, yes. Guilty right, as okay. charged. I mentioned the YouTube. Everybody's dragging the show down <laughs> Hey, man, I've been doing it for years. Uh, I've been to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Bill Price Show. Remember, we have a chat room there where you can weigh in. Go Blue Adam says, it's strange how Republicans claim there is no collusion with Russia, but they can't throw a stick without hitting one. And now they are meeting with the key players? Very, very strange. Yes, very strange indeed. Find us on Twitter at BP Show or get in the chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And we thank you for uh, all those comments. Keep them coming on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. So, Ella, one thing you've been writing about, and it's now become sort of the, the, the hottest issue of the day, is ICE. Right. And more and more calls for getting rid of ICE. Abolishing Abolishing it. Yeah. ICE. Uh, the president, uh, Tuesday evening, went down to Greenbrier Resort to speak to a big conference down there, and he... He, he raised it up as a, uh, well, let's hear him. I hear Democrats saying, we want to abandon ICE. We want to abandon, we're not abandoning ICE, and we're not abandoning our law enforcement. Just the opposite. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the president tweeted out the other day that if there were no ICE, people would be afraid to leave their homes. Right. <laughs> I don't think I don't know if he's equating ICE with like police, just like community police, but it's not the same thing. It's hard to follow half of the yeah. tweets. But so, how does this play? And are there is this just a, an occasional Democrat, or is there a building chorus? Of people? No, I think that there is a building chorus, and I, I think especially among some of the names, um, I. Unfortunately, the last I've been kind of out of the loop the last two days because I was on a little mini vacation. But the last I had heard, what you celebrated the Fourth of July? I know, I know. But even God. before that, um, I was out on Monday and Tuesday. But I know that so of sort of like the 2020 Democratic names, um, Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand was She's the first way out in front. Yeah. was the first to mm-hmm. say that we need to abolish ICE. And and the way that she sort of framed it was, you know, and a lot of Democrats have framed it as. This agency is not working. We need to sort of figure out a way to, you know, kind of have a, a regrowth of it and in a different way and in ways that we can do um, law and, you know, it's it's law enforcement missions, which are not related to immigration. Um, things like, you know, um, ICE agents work on cases like, you know, child pornography cases, international crime cases, things like that. And then there's this whole other immigration um piece of it and under president trump that has been the focus of the agency 
Um, and so Christian Gillibrand was the first. Um, I know Liz Warren came out um, yeah. a couple days later. Um, I don't think that uh, Bernie Sanders was interviewed about it um, a few days before Gillibrand came out at, at, against it. And, and he said that, you know, he would not support abolishing ICE. I don't know if he has he since changed uh, updated since that position. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So you might and know the, so, the full list more than well, I, I do. The full <laughs> list. But, Dick, but Dick Durbin, uh, our good friend, right. senator from, uh, great senator from Illinois, has has said that too but i think what all of them are saying and and let's play the one more voice uh adam smith um congressman adam smith washington state of washington right uh who i think wraps up what everybody is kind of talking about given ice's reputation i think i'd like to see that particular agency go away and be replaced by something that implements uh those policies in a better way so there's a slogan there maybe they could adopt uh, repeal and replace <laughs> right <laughs> That's something that a lot of Democrats, I feel like, can attach to, to different, uh, you know, yeah. campaigns that but they have But because my point is they're not saying get rid of it and then the op- the alternative is open borders. No, no, not what at all. What they're saying is let's, let's, let's get rid of its functions today, which we find a hard time supporting, like ripping apart families, right? Right. Or some of these raids where they're taking people out in the middle of the night, you know, and right. are, are going to the workplace and never have a chance to say goodbye to their kids or whatever, and re- replace it with an agency that, yes, is doing its job, right. uh, but is not they're not stormtroopers. And we know that there's at least a, a, at least a small contingent of ICE agents that feel the same way, actually, because um, a, a few weeks ago, I think the Washington Post first broke this story. They obtained uh, a letter that I think about 19... Um, ICE agents had written to uh, Kirsten Nielsen, who is the director of um, the Department of Homeland Security, and you know, and and reiterated the same concern, saying we mm-hmm. think the agency is kind of strayed too far from its original mission, and we would like to see it maybe broken up into two, where we have you know the the actual law enforcement aspect of this that doesn't have to deal with immigration, and then the immigration piece of it. But you know, people saying the agency is they feel it's broken, right. Uh, and again, playing the fear card, you know, the president keeps saying without ICE, you know, it'd be, right. there'd be rampant crime. Uh, uh, MS-13 would be taking over American cities. As I said, he even said that people would be afraid to walk out of their homes. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. Right. And that's Trump's view. But then you but, go to some of these rallies of, of immigrant families and, you, you know, it's clear that you see the opposite effect of people who... Um, are, you know, have either faced family separation or faced, you know, a loved one being taken away in a raid um, or are are fearful of that. And it's, you know, it's very emotional for, for a lot of these people. Uh, it, 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 it popped up and sort of led the news last night, the news I saw CBS News last night, um, a protest at, even at the Statue of Liberty mm-hmm. over this issue where it was reported, and one woman climbed up on the base oh, of the really? Statue of Liberty, and they had wow. to shut down the entire statue. Ellis Island, no, it's not Ellis Island, is it? No, it's, is it? Okay. I believe it is, but okay. I could all be right. wrong. Got it wrong. <laughs> uh, and anyway, and evacuate it. So yeah. all the tourists were out, and well, the police were trying to get her off off the off the base of the statue. And th- so the report was: there's a woman. On the Statue of Liberty, you know, and to which I thought, yes, there is. And, her, and what she's saying is, give me your tired, your poor, <laughs> right. your huddled masses yearning to be free. Right. That's what she's saying. And she, with this woman, was protesting this policy of, yeah. again, the uh, zero tolerance policy. Right. right. And there have been huge protests in D.C. as well um, last weekend. So, yeah. 
Uh, it, the question, I think, is whether this um, more and more Democrats will be taking up this issue. It doesn't look like they're running away from the issue, despite Donald Trump's attempts to uh, brand them as yes. pro-criminal or right. pro-MS-13. Yeah. I, I, I think that like Democrats are in, in, in an interesting position now because they're forcing Republicans to defend what ICE does. Right. Because there's just been yeah. this sort of, OK, ICE is whatever. And I think under Barack Obama, you didn't necessarily see ICE doing what they're doing now. And you didn't see him doing what they're doing now under George W. Bush either, for that matter. But it, Republicans are now going to have to come out and defend the purpose of ICE. What does ICE do and how are they different from, let's say, you know, what the Department of Homeland Security does, or the Border Patrol or anything like that? What is it that they do? And as we pointed out, we have several times on the show, I mean, ICE only dates back to 2003? 2003. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was created, the Department of Homeland Security was created post 9-11. Right. Um, and, and ICE is part of that that department. So, yeah, it's a relatively new agency. Yeah, there's always been a Border Patrol, which mm-hmm. does its job and does it well. And they've had more and more, the Border Patrol has been beefed up by George Bush and by Barack Obama. But ICE is a relatively new creation so it's not something that you know we right. could not do without or certainly not certainly something that we could we could bear restructuring right put it that way um all of this relates to some of the battles that are going on in the house over leadership both on the republican and the Demo- right. and the democratic side right which you've been we've been following um on the Republican side, things have got a little messy now because it looks like Kevin McCarthy looks like the lead oh, yes. candidate, right, yeah. to replace. And he's close to Trump, so and which is very, you know, important. Yeah. Right. At the same time, um, it looked like there could be a challenge from to McCarthy from more conservative members of the House, and the one who was always talked about was Jim Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Jordan's run into a little problem these days. Former wrestling yeah. coach for Ohio State. And several people have came from forward now to say it, that when he was wrestling coach, there are a lot of cases of sexual abuse of members of the team that he was told about. It's sort of like a Penn State thing almost. Not, yeah. not that bad, but I don't exaggerate it. But, but that the coach, he as coach, was told about it and did nothing about it. Here's Jim Jordan yesterday saying, not true. There is no truth to the fact that that I knew of any abuse. Uh, or I've talked to other coaches. They didn't know of any abuse. You know, unlike uh, the way he treats people, some others have been accused. I mean, I would give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but at the same time, um, this could derail any chances he had of being speaker, couldn't it? Right. And I think that, I mean, um, you know, Jim Jim Jordan is the he's the co-founder of the House Freedom Caucus, which is a very powerful uh, yeah. conservative yeah. wing of the, the House. Um, but I, I honestly don't know. I mean, you know, Mark Meadows is is currently the chairman, the congressman from North Carolina. I think he has uh, a lot more sway than than Jordan does. And I I don't know for sure. I sort of you know, if, if he backs McCarthy, then then, you mm. know, the House Freedom Caucus will go for McCarthy. And I think that McCarthy has a pretty good relationship with with them, maybe more so than uh, Paul Ryan mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly any and 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 a scandal, uh, you know, maybe if it was a political scandal or something like that, it might be easier to weather. But a scandal of this nature when, um, you know, there are allegations that you knew about allegations of serious sexual misconduct or and you know abuse and did nothing that's that's 
a big problem. No, right. It's very yeah. serious, and yeah. and it has brought other people down. Right. Right. Um, on the Democratic side, um, one person who certainly had his eyes on the speakership was Joe Crowley. Joe Crowley, yeah. Right. And now he's out of the running completely. Um, he lost his primary to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, in a very, you know, the 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 biggest. I, I feel like you know she kind of, I mean, not not came out of nowhere. She had this momentum that was building, but she pulled off the surprise win against Crowley, um, who had been in his seat for for many many years. Um, was the chairman of the the House Democratic Caucus was angling for speaker. Um, although he had said that, you know, Pelosi has announced her intention to run for speaker if the Democrats take back the House in 2018. And Crowley had sort of, you know, said, I'm going to back off if she will, runs. I'm not going to challenge her. But there had still there there have been a lot of rumblings for many, many months um, within the caucus that they would like to see new leadership for many reasons. Um, and, you know, Crowley was 50 at 56 years old, was one of the youngest members yeah, yeah. of leadership. Of leadership. Yeah. He was the youngest member. Yes, exactly. Because, um, oh, oh. uh, you know, Hoyer, Clyburn and Pelosi are all above 75 um, and they've all been around for a long time. Um, so but but now Crowley is out. And so that kind of opens the field, I think, um, a, you know, kind of prompts more soul searching within the Democratic Party for, you know, what do we do with this this leadership situation, especially seeing all of this energy on on the left. And and there are a lot of young candidates that are, you know, going to be competing um, on the Democratic side. So with this sort of younger party that is potentially leaning to the left, um, what what does that mean for Democratic leadership in the House? Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that means that uh, um, there will be you know, some openings provided for uh, for younger, more progressive members of the of the House in terms of openings in the leadership chain. In the leadership, well, um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that the way that leadership is structured right now, it is very much one of them will have to go to right, make room for right, somebody but, new because it's very much and and even with committee ships, it's very much you pay your dues and it's you know if if you want a good committee chairmanship. Um, you you have to have Pelosi's favor and you have to have been there for a long enough time. Um, and they changed some things actually last time after she was challenged um, by by Tim Ryan. Um, and, you know, he lost that challenge, but there were a, a good number of people that voted for him. Um, and, and the reason I, th- I think that there are a number of younger House Democrats that are just unhappy with the way things are there and, and unhappy with kind of Pelosi's grip on a lot of things. Um, so... Now she's so she's facing that, you know, discontent within the ranks. But then also, especially in such a highly charged election year, I think there are concerns about, um, you know, just kind of the this, you know, staleness of leadership potentially. And also um, concerns about if her her image um, and, and Republican attacks on her are doing damage to the party. Right now, uh, switching from the House to the Senate. Um, uh, uh, I ran into former Senator Ken Conrad the other evening uh, at a local restaurant here, and he was saying because he's supporting and working with several Democratic members of the Senate who mm-hmm. are up for re-election, um, that already they had their plans set, they had their money, they're raising money, they sort of feel how you know that they had a good chance of taking back the Senate, and then suddenly comes the resignation of Anthony Kennedy from the Supreme Court. 
and a battle over a Supreme Court nominee, right. which is going to be uh, a big factor in the in uh, here in 2018 in in Senate primaries. Right. Well, it's going to be a big factor, but I kind of wonder if it's going to galvanize people to go to the polls and, and vote for Democrats in the Senate. Good. That's that factor as well. Yeah. No, no, no. If they play it right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the New York Times uh, had a great editorial on um, Monday or Tuesday, I forget, or maybe it was last week, that when, when Kennedy announced his resignation, saying, okay, now it's up to the voters, right? Right. Uh, so that could be a factor in saying all the more reason. I think it was... The, the midterms of um, 20, what are the last midterms, 26? 2014. No, 20, 2014. Yes, yeah. I think it was 36% was a voter turnout. It was very low. Yeah. Yeah, it was very low. And and Vox's uh, Ezra Klein wrote a piece, you know, basically saying, you know, Democrats and your <laughs> weak turnout in the 2014 midterms, like, you're you're responsible for, no. for this. Right. No, across the board. So, right. so the, the point the Times was making is all the more important that in these midterms, people turn out because right. you can see the importance of having a majority in the United States Senate. Right. Uh, it's, it's Supreme Court. It's the most important reason, I believe, to vote for president. <laughs> it's the most important reason to keep control of the Senate. Right. Right. And, and you know, certainly 2018 is going to be the biggest test of a backlash to Trump and the biggest test of voter enthusiasm. But, you know, the midterms typically are, are low turnout years. So there have been all these protests. There are all these great candidates running. There's all this money being raised. There's all this hype. But we're really not going to know mm-hmm. until Election Day. Yeah. Now, in 2016, there was a new rule sort of adopted in the Senate. Right. And that is... We do not, we would not consider filling a Supreme Court vacancy in an election year. We'll have to let the voters decide first. It would be unfair of us senators to get ahead of the American people. So we're not going to even hold a hearing on a Supreme Court nominee until we have the election, and then we'll get around to that. That was the 2016 rule. Does that rule apply in 2018? No, not anymore. <laughs> now the Republicans yeah, have the majority. I know we're laughing, but it's that's yeah. just such an outrage. That was right. Mitch McConnell's argument in 2016. It was, and, and of you course know, they had he had the votes. He had the votes, and of course, you know this. The argument had been made by Democrats before, but they had never actually acted on it. So but because they had the filibuster, right? Then. Right. So we got rid of the filibuster for right. Supreme Court nominees. Right. Exactly. So the Democrats cannot use that. Right. So they kind of blew up their their last best tool that they had to oppose this. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And, and McConnell certainly is not above total flip-flop, you know, and never admitting oh, right. it. But it, this is a total 180 degrees from the argument that he made in 2016. Right. And, and you know, last week my colleague and I were, were over on the Senate and we were asking, we were asking Republican senators, why is this, why is a midterm election different? Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> The response that I just kept getting is, oh, it's different, it's different, it's different. (laughs) And I I don't know how many times I heard a Republican senator tell me it's different. Um, And when I asked them why, you know, it was like, oh, well, this is a midterm. It's not a presidential. And and it's more important to have the president nominate someone of good character. Like that matters more than, than the Senate that is the body that's confirming the person that's nominated. So that's the argument that they're using right now. Yeah. The answer is it's different because we're in charge now. Right. But I mean, the, I feel like there's a, the, the nightmare scenario of not being able to, conf- you know, if you can't confirm judges in a presidential year or a midterm year. 
Yeah. When would you be able to confirm that? Oh, no, no. The whole argument doesn't make right. any sense. It didn't make sense in 2016. It really doesn't make any sense now, really. But if they hadn't done it in, in 2016, then... Right. They, that they, you could... Uh, um, it'd be tougher for Democrats, I guess, to make their case at any rate. But but Mitch McConnell, that was a, a diabolical but brilliant strategy on his part. Yeah, very brilliant, yeah. Uh, and, and it worked. So do you think there's any... We're going to talk to Elizabeth Wider a little bit later from the Constitutionality Center, um, Constitutional Accountability Center. Uh, do you think there's any chance that Democrats can come up, hold the line, and then pick up uh, Susan Collins or Lisa right. Murkowski enough votes to... They only need two... Right. They only need to. I mean, it's it's going to be tough because this is, a, you know, again, the midterm factor with some some of the red state Democrats. I mean, it's worth noting that Heidi Heitkamp, Joe Donnelly um, and Joe Manchin all voted for Neil Gorsuch, um, uh, you know, uh, last year when when he had his confirmation hearing. Um, and, and they are all Democrats. Um, no, Susan Collins wouldn't do that because she said she would never vote for anybody who would. Uh, not respect the precedents. Well, right, so, right, and obviously Roe v. Wade is is a is a big concern here. So yeah, yeah I um, Susan Collins has said that, uh, but we'll see. All right, Ella, it's great to see you. Welcome back to the Thank real world you. here. Okay. <laughs> Ella Nielsen here from Vox, and when we come back, Graham Vice from New Republicans stepping in. New Republicans. This is in. the Stay Bill Press me. Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And we hope you had a happy fourth and are raring to go and jump back into the news of the day. Hello, everybody. It is uh, Thursday, July 5, The Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where we all celebrated uh, yesterday. I forget who's president of the United States. It's still a great country. And uh, we all gathered on the um, National Mall to watch a spectacular fireworks exhibit. Uh, in fact, uh, we've been told it was the largest crowd ever <laughs> to watch fireworks and the greatest, most spectacular fireworks display ever seen. Period. 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 Exactly. Graham Weiss, I don't know where you were watching the fireworks, but you're here this morning. It's good to see you. Good from to see you, too. The New Republic. Good Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, in, in the neighborhood here, joined a mob of people just walking down Pennsylvania Avenue to uh, just this side of the Capitol. It's a beautiful spot before they go down the Capitol Hill to the mall right there at the Library of Congress. Uh, and That's uh, a good spot. It's a really good spot. Yeah. yeah lots of people there last night. Uh, the street was blocked off, so uh, we were all just standing in the middle of the street, and it was uh, great to see them. It didn't have to deal with the crowds down on the the, the Washington Mall. Yeah. 
But we've got lots to talk about today, so it's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us as we come to you live from uh, our studio on Capitol Hill. And look forward to hearing from you your comments on the news of the day. And believe it or not, there's lots of it. Not much happened yesterday, but a lot Tuesday since our show. So we'll bring you up to date with Graham Vice here. Uh, and your comments on Twitter, welcome again, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first, give it to Peter here. Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news here on the July 5th. So we like watching fireworks. Mm-hmm. They're great. You know who doesn't like watching fireworks? Dogs. Dogs. Dogs hate fireworks, man. No, they okay. hate fireworks. Fine. And so there is a new trend this year because there is such a thing as CBD-infused dog treats. Those are the non-psychoactive hemp extract that comes from pot, the cannabis plant. But it doesn't get them high, but it makes them very calm. Mellow. Very mellow, very chill. It's a very chill situation. So when the fireworks start going off, before that happens... There are people that are giving their dogs CBD-infused dog treats, and it will help keep their dogs very chill. The fireworks don't freak them out. They're able to just hang out. They don't, like, hide in the bathtub, which my dog does. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? My sister's dog does with a special coat and a collar and drugs. The thunder jacket. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen those. In the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She just needs, the dog just needs some CBD. That's all it needs. I'm just wondering, could I get a couple of those? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I just have to wait for fireworks, right? It, it, yeah. we, we have to point out again that it does not get you high. But yeah. mellow. But yeah. mellow. Definitely yeah. mellow. This is very on brand for the Bill Press show. <laughs> very on brand. Very on brand. Uh, but Sony Pictures has a new movie coming out. It's called Kali the Killer. And uh, like any movie uh, studio does now, they put the trailers up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Somebody screwed up, though, earlier this week. Oh. They were meant to put the trailer up on YouTube, except the problem is they put the entire 89-minute movie <laughs> On YouTube. That's so good. Somebody is in serious trouble because, I mean, you know, look, this is what you got to do these days. You put the trailer up on YouTube and they had an oopsie. They put the whole movie up. It's since been taken down, by the way. And what better day than the 4th of July for House of Cards to release a little teaser. They do have another season coming out. Remember, Kevin Spacey is no longer on the show. Yeah, yeah. So they released a new one with... Claire Underwood. Robin Wright is Claire Underwood and shows her sitting in the chair saying uh, the message on this 4th of July, Happy Independence Day to me. Not (laughs) sure what exactly that could mean. It seems like she's celebrating her independence from her husband, Frank Underwood. Uh, But that is the teaser from Netflix. It's the sixth and final season coming up. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, they always say final season, then they extend it. (laughs) Right, right, right. This is the Bill Press Show. He's a racist. 49% of Americans say the President of the United States is a racist. The poll yesterday released by Quinnipiac uh, University, and the President turned around and proved it by uh, reversing the clock on seven affirmative action orders that have been put in place by Barack Obama. 
Hey, what do you say? Hello, everybody. <laughs> Happy Independence Day. <laughs> Happy Fourth of July, the day after it is Thursday, July 5, the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. Thanks for joining us as we reach out to you coast to coast on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on television as well on Free Speech TV and, of course, on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on uh, the powerful WCPT, the Progressive Voice of Chicago, in studio with us uh, all the way from Westerly, Rhode Island, uh, Graham Vice, staff reporter at the New Republic. Hello, Graham. It's good to see you. Hello, Bill. A place yeah, you know well. I do. I do indeed. <laughs> Just uh, spent a good uh, week up there last week. That's uh, right. And um, you guys celebrated the fourth in style. I, I did. I I, uh, I went up to to Baltimore, which uh, oh. you know, so a quick trip from D.C. just for a party with some friends. But uh, do but, they have a, a fireworks display at the Inner Harbor there? Yeah, supposedly they do. And, oh, you, and I see. Uh, we, we had, you know, sort of a classic situation where there was a big plan to you know we're gonna we were gonna get everyone together and go down to the harbor, and this was quickly abandoned and oh, halfway through yeah. the party, so <laughs> it didn't end up going. But uh, but it was fun. The one that uh, I mentioned. Early. The one that I would love to see is the uh, one on the East River up in New York. Oh. I mean, that's supposedly really spectacular. The Macy's was bigger, bigger and better than ever. Yep. Uh, I will say, because they always show them on TV, think, yeah. right? And you see these things. For all, there just, really is nothing more spectacular than the fireworks behind the Washington Monument and the Capitol and all that. Like, it might not be the biggest yeah. fireworks celebration, but that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah, I had no complaints about what we saw last night. I mean, standing there at the Capitol where I was, looking at the Washington Monument, and it looks it always looks like they're coming right out of the top of the yeah. Washington Monument. Yeah, you know? yeah. D- you know, done well. I mean, thinking of the, the town where I grew up, I, I grew up with this, uh, we would have a Summer Pops concert every every summer, and the thing would end with the 1812 Overture. Oh, my God. And a huge oh, no, fireworks really? show, oh. you know, timed to oh. the, That's the, best. The, the ending of the 1812 Overture. So. There is no better soundtrack for fireworks no. than, than that. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, so, um, boy, that's a little segue here <laughs> from to from uh, the, the Fourth of July fireworks to political fireworks on a couple of fronts today. Um, we talked about this uh, a little bit earlier. We have uh, a new candidate for president. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sort of teased it uh, yesterday on CNN and had given an interview before. So, in addition to all the it's not like we're lacking candidates for 2020 for president. There will be 300 people who run for president in the next cycle. It's I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it, know, it's going to be a, a, a There were so many Republicans the last time they had to have two different debates, right? <laughs> yeah. The JV debate and the varsity debate. That'll absolutely happen this time around. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, on the Democratic side. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be the varsity, the JV, and the junior league debate or whatever. <laughs> that's you know, right. And... So um, on one of those stages, maybe uh, an attorney who's made a lot of noise lately, yes, I... Stormy Daniels' attorney, <laughs> Michael Avenatti, and he was asked by Jim Shuto yesterday on CNN, what the hell? So I'm going to start very, very basic question. Why would you be qualified to be president? Well, I think I'd be qualified because I have three things that this president lacks, Jim, uh, brains, heart, and courage. <laughs> <laughs> this is like right out of the Wizard of Oz or something. Right? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> is. You know, it's just crazy. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. But I mean, first of all, he's right about thing, three things that Donald Trump lacks, right? But beyond that, right? Okay. Uh, I think he's doing a good job defending Stormy Daniels. He's certainly driving Donald Trump crazy. But 
and he's also doing a good job promoting Michael Avenatti, which oh, is <laughs> that's a, probably probably his, his his greatest gift, right? No, a, he's doing an especially good job that's at promoting right. at promoting promoting himself. I mean, so my one, but, but my, I mean, so he is in effect a, right, almost a carbon copy of Donald Trump. True. I mean, in terms of manipulating the media, promoting himself, right? Yeah. Michael and, Avenatti, Donald Trump. And uh, I'm going to now forget uh, sort of what the substance of this was, but the, thinking of the media, I mean, there was a leaked email, if I recall, uh, where he had had some exchange with a journalist and it like sort of was threatening. And I mean, the, the problem yeah. with Avenatti is he's he's sort of um, tr- Trumpian in, in, in all of the sort of advantageous ways and also maybe in some of the mm-hmm. negative ways as well and so yeah. I, I I mean it, I, it's actually I had a, had sort of a weird uh, thing where my uh, I have a grandmother who's like a very sort of diehard MSNBC fan like she's a total political junkie I got this email from her last night being like Michael Avenatti you know he's a street fighter he's a brawler we need him right so there will be some people who will latch on to this idea I just wonder you know uh, there's that sort of David Axelrod um, phrase about how uh, voters end up wanting the remedy, not the replica of uh, who the person in power. Uh, and I, I, I think that at a moment when, you know, with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez demonstrating how the party is craving a kind of younger, more diverse, um, you know, kind of next generation candidate, I, I, I don't I don't know if Avenatti fits that bill uh, in the end uh, in, in a primary situation. But well, as Peter said earlier, stay in your lane. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, no, I admire the, what he's done for Stormy Dan and the way he's handled it yeah. and the way he's just outplayed Donald Trump in the media. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. That's good. Right. It's just like Howard Schultz. I admire what he did at Starbucks. Okay. Just stay in your lane. Right. I mean, I don't necessarily need don't think he's our answer either in 2020, but I, th- I think the Avenatti thing is more uh, amusing than anything else. And yeah. I have a feeling he's just doing it. Well, and you have to admire the audacious. I mean, he's just sort of yeah. coming right out, <laughs> saying, oh yeah. "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously considering this." At least he's not saying. Let's no. look at the calendar. We're at what month at are we? At least he's in? not saying like I don't know how many uh, we've heard so far say, "Oh no, the fact that I've been in Iowa five times this year, right?" Doesn't mean I'm thinking of running I, for president. I, I just, no. I just enjoy corn. What, I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, right. what, 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 why do you go to Iowa, Bill? Right. Now, there's another uh, a little political um, uh, awkward moment. Out in the state of Illinois, where in whatever district it is, where my, uh, Dan Lipinski, a Democrat, incumbent Democrat, is running for re-election, mm-hmm. uh, it turns out the Republican candidate who won the primary is an out-and-out avowed Nazi yeah. by the name of Arthur Jones. I heard about this. And um, the Republican Party in Illinois has egg all over its face because they failed to come up with a candidate right. who could beat him and sort of dismissed him as having any chance and so didn't really attempt to beat him and now this guy is the Republican nominee um, so Ted Cruz yeah. <laughs> Ted Cruz has come out and said people in, in that district should vote for the Democrat Ted Cruz has said they should vote for the Democrat we can't have a Nazi in the United States Congress and Bruce Rauner the governor of Illinois yesterday said no 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 I disagree with Ted <laughs> Ted Cruz I just People should not vote for the Democrat. This guy should not be on the ballot. Yeah, but he is on the ballot. Right. It's just, to me, unbelievable that the Republican governor of Illinois would even indicate that he didn't say vote for him. He has condemned him. 
But he's not saying what Ted Cruz is saying. He's right. just saying he shouldn't be on the ballot. Well, guess what? Duh, dude. Right. It's too late it's for a, that. It's a binary choice. You know, yeah, and, it is. And no, I mean, look, I, I, there's a couple things on this. I mean, one is... I have to say, if elected, he won't be the only Nazi uh, in the Congress, but <laughs> well, the only uh, out-of-the-closet Nazi. Right. A we couple should. of closeted Nazis. C- certainly uh, some... some, some s- Members who are social media enthusiasts about Nazi uh, <laughs> Nazi content hashtag uh, and no it's it, it's nuts uh, and I think I mean the the, the question uh, the the thing that I'm struck by number one I sort of love you got to hand it to Ted Cruz like very periodically just sort of pisses everyone off right this is sort of a, yeah, sort of a right. trademark Ted Cruz move and and but he's 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 in some ways you got to hand it to him that that's a that is the the principled uh, thing to do in in a situation. Where you have a, a Nazi yeah. is the number yes. of your and party. And by the way, I have to say this: I'm surprised right. that Ted Cruz would go there. Yeah, I, he wouldn't have to, you know. No, I mean in Texas, right? Yeah. And I think you know, th- there's th- on the right, there's a sense that oh, the liberals and 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 the left is making too much of the kind of emboldened uh, white nationalist, uh, you know, uh, neo-Nazi politics. And 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 look, I mean, I think you have to be careful about who you apply that label to. But the, but the truth is, I mean. There's no question that there, there's a, a, a mounting pile of evidence that that a, a the sort of um, alt right you know racist you know a neo Nazi right has been emboldened by Donald Trump as you said uh, there just appear to be more and more instances in the news where a congressman uh, retweets uh, you know uh, Nazi uh, Twitter messages uh, you know the, this this uh, this nominee in Illinois uh, you know obviously Charlottesville right I mean yeah. it's just it, it's yeah. it's it's it's, yeah. it's a pattern in which there's a kind of uh, there's a kind of cl- closeness and proximity to that wing of the conservative or the far right you know racist movement um, that that just didn't seem to exist before. Uh, and on that point, uh, uh, the, the um, no, it wasn't Gallup. Quinnipiac yesterday with a poll where forty nine percent on right. Um, racism, racist, whatever. But 49% of Americans say that the president of the United States is an outright racist. Yeah. Uh, 44% say his immigration policies are driven by all this hardline immigration policy, separating kids from their families, zero tolerance policy, getting rid of the dreamers, building the wall, the whole thing, are motivated not by national security, which Donald Trump claims, but by racist beliefs, 44%. And 49% is just flat out, of all voters, flat out, he's a racist. I mean, that's stunning. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I haven't I haven't looked at the crosstabs on how much, how many of those are Democrats versus um, Republicans. Obviously, it's probably a much larger percentage are Democrats. I haven't maps either, but, over the Democratic yeah. Party. But <laughs> what's interesting is I wonder if— But when you come out overall at 49%, right. that's half of the American people. Right. And even if what that means is that Democrats are becoming more aware of how bad it is, even if that's mm-hmm. the story, that's useful for the for the party of just a you know a sort of an increasingly radical. Useful for the party, but it's frightening for the country. I totally obviously yeah, yeah, <laughs> no yeah. argument for me. Right? Uh, no, it, it's 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 really it's really a sad state of affairs. And so, as if to almost as if to prove the point. Um, you know, affirmative action has not been the hot button issue that that it w- was no. 15, 20 years ago. Uh, the Supreme Court said some universities have gone too far in making race like a primary factor, but they could still use it 
as one factor in consideration in, in attempting to achieve diversity on campuses. And so a few years ago, the Obama administration came out with seven guidelines by executive order that universities could use voluntarily. They didn't have to, but these are these are like, here's some things you could do mm-hmm. where you could constitutionally, legally, again, voluntarily consider race as one of many factors when you're putting your admissions together for the, toward the goal of having a campus that reflects what the community looks like, right. diversity on campus. Uh, suddenly, Tuesday, without any big controversy going on or any, I don't know, just out of nowhere, the Trump administration reversed all seven of those policies and said, nope, universities don't have to worry about diversity anymore. It's done. It's done. I mean, why? Right. And, and, and all of this would be, in terms of the intention, you, you, you might, the president might get the benefit of the doubt if there wasn't such a history of comments you, you talked about you talked about sort of the motivation for these policies right yeah. but on the on the immigration policies i mean we we remember uh you know they're they're not sending their best you know they're 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 bringing drugs they're bringing crime they're rapists we remember judge curiel he's a mexican right therefore, therefore he, he can't, can't rule up, right. you know and 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 even on on, on uh, you know the black community i mean he 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 sort of talked in a way that was read in a, f- a fairly cavalier way about you know what the hell do you have to lose uh you know your 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 communities are hellscapes and obviously you know there there's a uh, there's a truth in the sense that you know many you know inner city communities are struggling, but the the, the way in which you know he he would he would say things like my African American remember this yeah you know yeah, so, so, so there's my African American <laughs> over there mm-hmm. hey, literally think about that he pointed to a this poor guy in the crowd I mean it's just, look at my African American yeah. one black face in the <laughs> right. crowd right oh there's my African American I, I have a black friend this is my I mean it, yeah. you know oh, yeah. so. No, uh, it, no. This this affirmative action thing is just like kind of the latest indication. Uh, uh, but again, what what struck me about it is that that, that it, you know affirmative action had kind of been it's sort of like the dreamers. off the radar. The Dreamers program was working. Con, right. There was nothing wrong. Consensus. There was no, a consensus no around great it. Big public outswell uh, upswell of outrage about it or something. No, it right. was working. And the same thing with affirmative action. It had been off the radar. Why? Because most people had said. Yes, diversity is a good idea, and yes, they kind of worked it out, right? We're doing it in a way that we're not just favoring every person of color against right. uh, any particularly white student. We're just we got it. We got a plan, and suddenly and there have always been debates. Some people say it should be based on class as opposed yeah. to race, but but to your point, it it sort of had been off the national debate oh. stage for for a long time. Yeah. Um, on another front. The Senate Intelligence Committee um, Tuesday came out with a pretty pretty powerful statement. This is, again, the Republican Senate, Republican-controlled uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, led by Republican Richard Burr of North Carolina, uh, concluded that, yes, indeed, Russia was, did interfere in the 2016 presidential election, and they did so for the purpose of helping elect Donald Trump. Got to say, Bill, this seems pretty locked down at this point. Seems <laughs> seems pretty uh, uh, yeah. seems pretty well confirmed at, the, right. at this point. Our 17 intelligence agencies said the same thing right. a year and a half ago. Right. Now the Senate Intelligence Committee has said that. And yet, to this date, 
Donald Trump has still not admitted that Russia did yeah. anything in terms of trying to influence the 2016 election. I heard you talking about this earlier in the show, yeah. and, and I think I think the the point you made about uh, you and Peter were both saying about sort of the 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 insecurity about his legitimacy as president is is obviously exactly right and uh but you know the the, the fact remains that if if uh you know given what we know i think there are going to be questions about uh you know sort of what what do we make of the fact that that this was a sort of concerted effort by by russia how can you just sort of shrug it off right. and pretend it didn't happen and do nothing about it right but you know he's he's there's a, never been you know a more direct threat to our democracy i don't think i mean not, not for a long time no, at any rate no it's it's stunning and and we don't you know we don't know what would happen in the future and 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 th- that i think is the bigger point it's the, just the the total inability refusal to grapple with what happened to say that what happened was wrong that was a threat to the country that we're going to work to prevent it in the future i mean it just it's totally absent from his his rhetoric and and his um you know his public presentation mm-hmm. for reasons that we totally understand okay now i've got a question for you yes, uh, sir. how do you spell poor yeah <laughs> So, so there are several theories on this. What, if, if you, I don't know if you talked about it earlier in the show. No, we didn't. One we didn't. of which is that now was, Peter's big was, on Peter. Peter gets in a lot of trouble because he's always making fun of the fact that Donald Trump can't spell. That's right. right? People get mad at me online, and they're like, "Oh, this is the reason that Trump won is because you're an elitist." And yeah. it's like, "No, screw that. I'm with Peter." I, look, if you're the president of the United States, you should know how to read and write. That's damn a, right. It's, it's a it's a pretty low bar. It's a such a low bar. <laughs> Listen, I told my kids that. You told your kids yeah. that. I'm sure. Learn right? how to spell. Yeah. Spell. Yeah. Learn to spell. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. that 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 does reflect something on you yeah. if you can't spell. And this is no. even today when more and more people are using this internet proto language right. to like shorten things up. But, know how to spell things correctly. Right. Yeah. By the way, you got to know. Yeah. That's one reason why. Yeah. Oh, that's another whole. Thing. So, <laughs> that's like, a whole other thing. <laughs> it's like this. Just the letter U as opposed to Y O. I mean, I'm I don't sorry. need that in my life. <laughs> I don't either. I don't I need do, that in my I life. I don't go there. I hate it. R U R the letter R and then. The letter U. Yeah. Come on. No. I mean, you know. How much time did you really save there? <laughs> exactly. You know? I mean, we're all busy, yeah. but nobody's How much time did you really busy. save and how much dignity did you really lose? <laughs> like, you know, it's like... Okay. So here's what we're talking about, friends. I'm sorry. It's a little inside baseball here. But the president put out a tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are we talking yeah, about? The president put out <laughs> You know, there are people who ask that every day <laughs> watching this show or listening to this show. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so the president put out a tweet where he was again blasting the media, saying that they they love to. Part of that said, the media likes to pour over my tweets, looking for a mistake, and the word "poor" is spelled P-O-R-E, right? Not that's P- not how he spelled it. That's how he spelled that's it. That's not right? how he spelled it. He spelled it P-O-U-R. He spelled it U-R. He spelled it U-R. P O U R. Oh, I got. It. Then he and, changed it. And, yeah. yeah, and then the cr- because it was wrong. Right. Yeah. Because it yeah, was wrong. The right way is the P O R E, and yes. he, he did it the wrong way. Right. So, so but he spelled, and then at least he didn't do P O O R. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but so then, in other words, when he's blasting the media for looking over his tweets, looking for a mistake, he, it, the tweet includes a, a mistake, a right. misspelled word. Now, so, now, 
to your theory. So the theory on this, and I, I've heard uh, like uh, many people on Twitter, including the conservative commentator uh, Ben Shapiro, was talking about this. That some that essentially this tweet was drafted by someone in the White House or someone on the Trump team with the misspelling for the. It, explicit purpose of having the the media go off in the way that we are currently doing right so well, it's sort of a it's sort of a meta troll on on the part of the president of the united states and his and his team i, I like that theory i think it is giving them too much credit well okay <laughs> and, uh, uh, hard uh, agree yeah, i right. don't think that this was a I, conscious decision on the president <laughs> to to trigger the libs if he if he had done that i would say uh, then then kudos you pulled it off yeah, that's right. a good that's a good troll it's a good that's troll a good troll yeah right uh, but the other thing is he just doesn't know how the other theory is he doesn't know how to spell no in fact the uh <laughs> so the, one of the biggest and best reactions to this is that the the Harry Potter author JK Rowling uh, responded to this on Twitter and just wrote just like ha 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 huge huge like laughter you know this oh. totally went viral and someone said you know JK Rowling more like JK trolling Oh. And that person was was not allowed, and you know, to 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 uh, to remain in the it, room it anymore. It was just it was yeah. a, uh, another <laughs> yeah, funny that's moment. Right. Uh, there was I saw, this I saw is this, really pretty off the rail. I know I it say. is off the rail. I saw <laughs> yeah. it again yesterday. There was a time in the campaign, I'd forgotten about this, where Donald Trump actually said, "If I'm president, I will stop tweeting." I, I remember that he said that I yeah. will stop tweeting oh, because it's no, not. My understanding it's is it's not that presidential. He, could, he said, "You will not believe how presidential I can be." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do, does anyone else remember this? He was basically <laughs> like, "He's like, look, I can be so presidential." I mean, I there, there was a whole. You're totally right. There was a whole yeah. like, like he he just he addressed this. He said, "You know, we're not going to be doing it." God. So on a more serious note. Are we- I mean, I, I it certainly it certainly sounds like we're getting close to it. I haven't I haven't followed you know the the, the trade stuff as closely as other people, but it, it's I mean, what's your thought? Uh, yeah, I yeah. think we are. We're in a trade war with uh, Canada. We're in a trade war with Mexico. We're in a trade war with China. We're in a trade war with our European allies. Uh, and the, the reason I mention is because um, I, I saw an article in the New York Times. I think it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, on the what's expected next, and Donald Trump keeps talking about it, are the tariffs on new cars, yeah. foreign cars, yeah. on foreign cars. Yeah. Um, and what I don't know that he realizes is the article pointed out that the people who are going to be really hurt. I read this too. Are Americans who live in Trump country, like Peter's home st- uh, state of South Carolina. Yeah. So. Put a tariff on foreign cars. One of them would be BMW. Okay, yeah. where's the BMW made? It's made in Spartansburg, South Carolina. Spartanburg, You've been there, yeah. I know Spartanburg well. Spartanburg, yeah. Spartan, US, Spartanburg. Uh, Furman University, your favorite. FU is close to. Spart- oh, I've been to close FU. To Spartanburg. Wow. Yeah, I have a cup from FU. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave a talk at FU. I didn't. Know, is that where it was? It's close to there. That's yeah. where I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were near Spartanburg. Damn, I should have gone to the BMW plant. <laughs> at any rate, Spartanburg voted. Sixty-three percent for Donald Trump. Trump country. It's Trump country. Yeah, and I don't know how many thousands of workers would lose their jobs or uh, and local businesses go under if Donald Trump slaps these tariffs yeah. on. What's he doing? 
it's, well, it's it's I don't know if this was the same story or if there's another time story on like similar point of how like farmers are now becoming oh, no. really anxious about you know yeah. the, the, the yeah. you know getting rid of NAFTA. I mean, so it's it's it it, it does and the and the headline the the framing of the whole piece was basically you know it, industries that Trump promised to help are now going to be hurt uh, potentially by by these policies. Mm-hmm. Certainly, so. auto manufacturers. In, in, and most of those plants are in red states, mm-hmm. Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, uh, and uh, the farmers. I mean, Orrin Hatch, mm-hmm. who's been the biggest, one of the biggest suck-ups to Trump of all. Yeah, he's been speaking he's out. A, the greatest president ever, including Lincoln and Washington, he said at one time. is Now he's leading the charge, helping lead the charge, Bob Corker is too, uh, to take the power to adopt these tariffs away from Donald Trump. Although I do love that, like, this was what crossed the line. Like, oh, the yeah. tariffs, you know, I mean, look, you know, I mean, the sort of right. the sort of disregarding of, 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 of American norms, the sort of creeping authoritarianism, overt racism, overt you know, misogyny. But the thing is built, the tariffs, that's, that's really, <laughs> I mean, we just, what we couldn't abide that. You, you have to understand, what were we going to do? You what know? would it take? You can do anything, but don't touch my soybeans. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Once you got the soybeans, man, that was it. That's right. That was a line. Well, Gary Cohn, to his credit, left over the issue of tariffs. But again, he stayed there after Charlottesville. Yep. Right. That was okay. Could be the racist, but don't touch my soybeans. That's right. All right, Graham. We caught up on a lot of stuff here. Thanks so much for coming back. Thank you very much. And now, the big issue. What about the Supreme Court vacancy? Anthony Kennedy leaving one. Are we going to let Donald Trump fill it? Elizabeth Wydra. From the Constitutional Accountability Center joins us uh, with all the implications of the fight over this uh, next Supreme Court nominee. Coming up next on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. You got it. Thursday, July 5th. Hope you had a great 4th, everybody. Celebrating Independence Day uh, and uh, taking time out. Uh, to be grateful for this great country we live in and the fact that we are surviving despite 18 months of a Donald Trump. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday. Lots going on. Uh, one of the big uh, issues, by the way, Elizabeth Wydra will be joining us shortly here from the Constitutional Accountability Center to talk about this vacancy on the Supreme Court created by the resignation uh, announced last week by Justice Anthony Kennedy. Meanwhile, Uh, More and more Democratic voices uh, speaking out to get rid of ICE as it is presently constituted at any rate. Here is a Congressman Adam Smith from Washington State. This is how the head of the Democratic National... Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I played the wrong clip. I played the wrong clip. Yeah. Um, Here's the Adam Smith clip. Sorry. Given ICE's reputation, I think I'd like to see that particular agency go away and be replaced by something that implements uh, those policies in a better way. So uh, what Adam Smith is saying is what uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Dick Durbin have said as well, uh, is that uh, ICE as constituted uh, has become uh, uh, a very heavy handed uh, a stormtrooper-like force uh, and, and that does not represent the best of America, and we should repeal it, if you will, to borrow a phrase, repeal and replace, um, 
take get rid of ice again as it now uh, exists and restructure, come up with an agency which can still uh, keep our border secure, uh, but do so in a humane, if you will, manner uh, and a, a way that uh, all Americans uh, could um, accept as prop- a proper display of uh, law enforcement. Uh, the issue facing the American people and uh, the particularly the United States Senate now and the President of the United States, a vacancy on the Supreme Court created by the resignation of Justice Anthony Kennedy. Elizabeth Widra is our go-to person for the Supreme Court from the Constitutional Accountability Center who joins us in studio. Elizabeth, good to see you. Yeah, good morning. Did you see this coming? You know, we've been on retirement watch for, uh, you know, a, a year or so for Justice Kennedy. Um you know, we we all thought he might stick around another year, but then his decisions at the end of the term that were kind of wishy-washy um, and also put him in line with the conservatives, you know, definitely raised some questions. So ha- it's not a complete shock. I had heard that he had already hired his clerks for next term. Is that true? It is true. But, you know, that doesn't they'll be very well taken care of either oh, by other yeah. justices or with big fat bonuses from law firms who want to hire them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that sort of threw people off when he when he did that. Yes. Well, and also he didn't announce his retirement in the morning session when they issued the last rulings. And in fact, Chief Justice Roberts made a made a lot of us feel a false sense of security because he made a joke. When he announced some staff retirements uh, and said, that's oh. all today. Um, so, you know, we were a little we had a, a false sense of security for a couple hours <laughs> until the announcement came out. Right. Uh, I mentioned uh, here to our audience a month or so ago, I ran into the chief justice at a uh, at a reception and I asked him directly if uh, Justice Kennedy was going to retire. <laughs> uh, he smiled. Yes. <laughs> uh, and said, honestly, I don't know. But he said, I will say this, that those who do know aren't talking and those who are talking don't know. Yes, that's the standard line from the court justices. And and it's true. And and I suspect that he might not even have told uh, his fellow justices um, until they had lunch after the morning session. So I don't think Chief Justice Roberts was playing cute in the morning. I think maybe he just didn't know. Okay, so there are two levels to look at this. uh, uh, One level is, okay, Donald Trump has an opportunity to, to appoint a second justice to the Supreme Court, and the Senate's got to deal with this. Before we get to that level, what does it mean overall for the court to see Justice Kennedy leave? This is a huge deal. You know, Justice Kennedy was very much a conservative justice. You know, I think because he issued some big votes in cases that the public really cared about on progressive issues like marriage equality and LGBTQ rights, um, on some abortion issues... I think there was a sense that he was more liberal than he was, and he mm-hmm. was definitely a staunch conservative, but he was willing uh, to be fair-minded in certain circumstances, and you know that's how we got some of these important rulings. But because he was really the decisive vote on key issues like LGBTQ rights, abortion access, uh, even some issues of uh, racial justice, his loss to someone way more conservative is going to be huge for this country and for the court. I mean, Roe versus Wade really is on the line with this vacancy. Uh, but there's no—is there a case in front of the court right now? 
So one could there are cases involving different abortion restrictions, but there are laws in certain states that um, do directly challenge Roe versus Wade. They're kind of there. You know, they put them on the books periodically yeah, to try right. to get right. something up. But because it seemed like Justice Kennedy was a fairly sure vote there, you know, the strategy was not to directly attack the heart of the abortion right. It was to go around with these, you know, restrictions about, you know, how many hours you have to wait right, or, right. you know, clinic requirements. <laughs> but now I think if they have someone on the bench who, according to President Trump's litmus test, will automatically, in his words, overturn Roe versus Wade, then I think the strategy will change and they will be willing to go uh, at the uh, heart okay. of Roe. So you touched on one thing, which I think we have to keep reminding ourselves. No matter what Donald Trump says today about I'm not going to have any lit- litmus tests, he has vowed as a candidate, right? Multiple times. That he would only appoint justice. He would appoint justice for the purpose of overturning Roe v. Absolutely. He said that over and over and over in the campaign. It was arguably one of his most important campaign promises, because if you look at the um, poll numbers from the time, people who um, the exit polls, people said that they voted for Donald Trump as conservatives or conservative evangelicals because they wanted someone on the court to overturn Roe versus Wade. And he promised that over and over and over in, in yeah, explicit, so, clear terms. Right. So this question I keep seeing in the media about why do evangelicals stick with Donald Trump? I mean, that's why. I yeah, mean, absolutely. After the Access Hollywood tapes came out, their answer was, yeah, we don't like that. That's pretty scuzzy behavior. But he'll put somebody on the court who's going to overturn Roe right, v. Wade. Right, exactly. That's the reason for saying that. Yeah. So Now, one of these, you, so you say there's no case coming up which would ch- directly challenge Roe v. Wade. There are these little restrictions uh, which... Which are important, up. for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah they mm-hmm. do. But could the court... I, I keep thinking of what happened with Citizens United, mm. where you took a, one case just about this little movie, yeah. and then John Roberts said, no, 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 let's not just look at that. Let's look at the whole question of campaign finance right. reform. So couldn't the justices, one justice or the chief, say... Okay, well, we got this one little aspect of abortion. Let's we should look at the whole case, Roe v. Wade, right? Yeah, that is certainly possible. I mean, because it was very unusual that he did it in Citizens United, and certainly right. put yeah. the lie to his uh, judicial restraint claims. Um, you know, to order reargument on this huge constitutional issue. Um, but you're right. But even even if. So that's just, a way it could get there. It could get there sooner than we think. I guess right. is what I'm saying. But I I, I think that the. Um, uh, anti-abortion advocates could very quickly get a case up. And it's really just a change in oh. tactics, because yeah. right now with with a five, you know, with Justice Kennedy, with a five justice majority upholding the heart of Roe, they, their strategy was to attack it from the sides. Yeah. Now and it could now it a, could just go straight to the heart of the if they abortion get, if, right. If he gets a person on there. Right. And uh, don't we sometimes also uh, maybe don't see the forest for the tree for the trees in that if Roe v. Wade were overturned, it's not just a woman's right to choose to have an abortion that would be impacted, right? I mean, it's it's a whole panoply of women's health issues. Well, a- absolutely, and I think that you know. President Trump tries to have it both ways by saying, um, "Oh, well, it would just go back to the states." Well, that's true, but there are a lot of states that would not protect abortion rights. I mean, sure, you know, 
even before Roe, you could get an abortion in New York, for example. But there are a lot of women who do not have the resources to travel across the country and pay yeah. for an abortion. So that would hugely affect women, particularly low income women. And also there could be questions about uh, contraception access. If you attack the privacy interests that were at issue in Roe, um, then, you know, that uh, that affects Griswold, which is an important case about contraception access. And, you know, it's it's really very frightening. And I think it's important to note that this will not even if they overturn Roe versus Wade, as a lot of um, uh, anti-abortion advocates would like, that's not going to stop abortion. It's just going to stop safe and legal abortion. But women will still, uh, in many cases, risk their lives to access abortion. So it's really, um, I think, a, a very dangerous strategy. Right. Uh, this definitely means then, this would mean, if, if Donald Trump were, su- were to succeed in getting someone on there, this would mean that the swing vote would be John Roberts, right? Yes, which is frightening. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to, yeah. When you get to the point where <coughs> he's the moderate, yes. John Roberts. Right, and he would never be the moderate. It would just basically move the center, quote-unquote, center of the court very, very far to the right. Um, Because, you know, if you think of the instances where John Roberts has joined with the more liberal justices, it's, you know, in cases like the existential threat to the Affordable Care Act. Well, I mean, the argument against that was crazy town. So basically, he didn't get on the train to crazy town in that particular. But that's certainly not being a moderate. um, And I think that's important to note. But but yes, you know, we uh, at Constitutional Accountability Center, we did a 10-year survey of uh, his first decade as chief justice. And there are a few instances where he can surprise us and uh, be a swing vote, but it's not in most instances. Right. And I, I would just point out that, you know, Kennedy's, uh, you know, a replacement who's even further to the right of Justice Kennedy doesn't just impact, of course, these two key issues of abortion and LGBTQ rights, you know, that would push the court even further to the right. And that's true for business issues, workers' rights, um, uh, campaign finance. You know, I mean, Kennedy was pretty far to the right already on those issues, but with someone very extremely conservative. Yes, absolutely. And especially on issues of racial justice. You know, we just saw um, the administration rescind guidance Mm -hmm. about Race conscious diversity programs. Exactly. Affirmative action. And Kennedy was the swing vote in affirmative action for universities. So that's something that is also uh, could be on the chopping block with with the replacement of Kennedy. Right. Is there any way, given the makeup of the Senate today, uh, that Democrats can block Donald Trump's nominee? Well, I think that, you know, a real issue for Donald Trump, fortunately, is that there are senators who uh, are very concerned about Roe being overturned. A majority of Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, uh, support Roe versus Wade. And so some of those Republicans and Democrats live in states that are represented by Republican senators. And so they have to be very careful about that. So I think that's why you see right now Trump trying to backtrack on all of his row litmus tests. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just because he said, oh, I'm not going to ask them about that. Well, the question has already been asked if they're on his short list. That, right. He does have this short list. Now it's a short list. It's 25 people. <laughs> Who made up the short list? Uh, it was basically done in uh, by the Federalist Society. 
uh, first and foremost, with some assistance, I think, from the Heritage Foundation. And these are both heritage even more so, very conservative organizations that focus on legal issues. The Federalist Society is sort of the elite conservative legal society. And, you know, I I debate frequently there. I think that it's, um, you know, a, a good place for an exchange of ideas. But, you know, part of the president's job is to exercise his own decision-making power about but, who but should be on be the clear. list. Let's be clear. Everybody on that list is a bona fide conservative. Oh, absolutely. And is uh, probably expressed uh, uh, an anti-Roe v. Wade position. I mean, if you have openly. A, if you have a litmus test, then, you know, you assume that people who are on the list after you've expressed that litmus test meet that litmus test. And whether right. it's something they've written, but a lot of them don't have a paper trail because that's the kind of trend recently in judicial nominations is to have it be something of a black box. Then maybe they said it to you, you know, over coffee or cocktails. Um, but you can be pretty sure that if you're on that, I mean, you can be sure that if they're on that list, they meet the litmus test. All right. So to stop it, to stop, uh, to block an appointment, the Democrats would need all the Democrats to hold tight and then pick up a couple of conservative Republicans, uh, pick up a couple of Republicans. The two that keep everybody keeps talking about are Lisa Murkowski and particularly Susan Collins. Right. Right. Okay. Susan Collins says, I want somebody who's going to uphold the uh, long-standing precedent set by the Supreme Court, right? Right. She voted for Neil Gorsuch. Right. She voted for Samuel Alito, didn't she? Yes. Well, and and even worse— so why should we believe that she's going (laughs) to— Well, at least at that point in time, when she voted for them, you didn't have the record of them voting to overturn precedent. But the fact that she just said, I think last week, that she didn't think Neil Gorsuch— would would, right. would overturn Roe versus Wade because of res- respect for precedent. You know, I I don't know if she wasn't paying attention to all the decisions this last term, but he, I was going to say, yeah, what when has he shown any respect for precedent at all? In, so far in the on the court, right? I mean, he has been very willing to overturn precedent. Uh, I think even most, last week, yes, most notably in uh, the Janus case Janus about case. public sector unions, where they overturned a. 44-year-old precedent that had many reliance interests, you know, states and localities had counted on it to structure their relationships with their employees, unions had counted on it, the workers in those unions. So to overturn that president without precedent without any good reason uh, does not give me hope that he will not vote to overrule Roe versus Wade. Or, uh, and does not necessarily give you hope that Susan Collins will vote the right way. Right. Well, I, I hope that she uh, will pay attention to her prior mistakes. And maybe, you know, she's a busy woman. Maybe she wasn't paying close attention to the uh, decisions at the end of this term. But, you know, obviously they've been pointed out to her. But the thing that concerns me that she said also is that she wouldn't vote for someone who expressed open hostility to Roe. Mm-hmm. Now, We know that from, you know, going back probably 20 years or so, the nominees do everything they can in their confirmation hearings to not give answers. And probably if you're the nominee, you're not going to have written something uh, publicly that says, I want to overturn Roe versus Wade. It's just, you know, the trend has been toward people who don't have a paper trail on some of these big issues. But again, they're little winks and nods or side conversations that give the people who are nominating them confidence that they will be a staunch conservative or a staunch liberal, whichever way it goes. So 
I think it's very unlikely that someone would, in their hearing, express open hostility. So I think she needs to recalibrate mm-hmm. her test on that. You know, while you were talking, I was just thinking, going over the, the count again. Um, I think we have to assume, sadly, uh, that John McCain will not be coming back. At least there's a 50% chance right. yes. that he would not be. So we're down to 50 versus 49. Yeah. So really, Democrats only need, if Democrats held tight, mm-hmm. they only need one Republican senator. Right. Right? Yes. Now, maybe it could be a Bob Corker who's retiring, or a Jeff Flake who's retiring, or a Lisa Murkowski, or a Susan Collins, but w- probably one of them. And that would, well, that would make it still a tie, I guess, right? No? Right. Yeah, you'd still need... Still need two? Yeah. 42, 42. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, but, you know, I think that so that's... So they only have 50 votes. They lose one, they get 49. Democrats only have 49. Right, yeah. So all the Democrats need to stick together. But I would hope that some Republicans would, you know, again, not just Roe, certainly Roe. I think that's probably yeah. the, the most obvious. But also LGBTQ rights, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that the majority of Americans uh, support. And, you know, someone like Jeff Flake represents a state that there are many people in that state who support Roe and who support LGBTQ rights. So, you know, I think that's why you see the administration trying to, again, make people forget about words that Donald Trump said not that long ago um, about the kind of justice that he would appoint to the court. Now, you know, watching this uh, play out over the last few days, I've been thinking it, it just seems to me... Tell me if I'm wrong. Or when did it happen that the court suddenly has become almost a partisan political playground, right? I mean, I, I always thought of the court, the Democratic or Republican uh, administrations, as this independent judicial branch of government that one might agree with sometime, but not, not another time. But they were independent. They kind of like did their own thing, and you had people on there who had independent minds. Too. Well, that's how it should be. <laughs> but now it's not that. Now it's got to be all this way or all this way, right? And so everybody says, well, Donald Trump's a president, so therefore he can appoint people as extreme right-wing as possible, and they'll be there for 50 years. And mm-hmm. and so the court's like going in a, could go in a totally different direction than the country is going. Right, and I think part of that has to do with the when blowing up. When did that start? Of, well, I think it's been true for a long time, and I think, to be honest, uh, you know, conservatives have known that a lot longer than progressives. Uh, they have known that the court was in, the courts, not just the Supreme Court, but all of, the, especially the oh, federal yeah. courts of appeals. Oh, yeah. But that the courts are an important part of getting their agenda through, and I think progressives kind of focused more on the political elected branches and not so much on the courts. I think you're totally right. And Absolutely. So, so, that, so it's been political on one side for yeah, quite a while. Yeah. But I think the other thing is that, you know, blowing up the processes in the Senate, you know, particularly where you needed a 60 vote threshold to get someone confirmed, um, to get past any sort of filibuster, was a way to ensure that you know, someone who was an extreme or likely to be an extreme uh, pick wouldn't get through. And so you'd have to go back and find a consensus candidate. I right. mean, Kennedy's nomination is perfect. A yeah. perfect example yeah. of that. It was Robert Bork. His didn't go through because he was considered too extreme. And so they got Kennedy. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was shown to be someone who, yes, was absolutely conservative, 
but from time to time would show that he was uh, a fair-minded constitutionalist, which is what we want. That is what progressives want on the court. Right. And the filibuster, it's just two years ago, is that when they got rid of the... Uh, with, with, last, with the Gorsuch nomination. With Gorsuch. Yes. And that was Mitch McConnell. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, this is a triumph for Mitch McConnell, the fact that he blocked President Obama from putting his nominee through the Senate processes. There was not a hearing. There was not a vote on Chief Just Chief Judge Merrick Garland from the D.C. Circuit, yeah, yeah. which is just really still horrifying to me. But he it, it was a gamble that paid off for him. And it was cynical and crass and uh, undermined American values. But you know, now he's getting the political spoils from right. that. And, and what he enunciated at the time was the McConnell rule that that would just be untow- un- untoward to have a Supreme Court nominee chosen or filled <laughs> uh, during an election year. Right. N- never mind that it was like 10 months before an election. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but that you, know, you had to wait until the American people voted, right? Right. Well, of course, that rule in 2016 does not apply in 2018. Right. Well, you know, they they say, oh, well, that was for a presidential election. Well, look, that was a made up rule. And yeah. And anyway, if you're going to go by that rule, the Constitution does say that there are two parts of the process. The president nominates, the Senate confirms. So if there's a Senate election under the McConnell rule, I don't know why that yeah. doesn't apply. But look, it was a made up rule. We can make up then. rules. We can this make up kind rules. of a made up yeah. rule. But whatever. If that's what you set, Mitch McConnell, you should probably live by it. Right. Uh, are you willing to um, hazard a guess as to who the president's nominee is going to be? 30 seconds? Oh, gosh. I mean, he's given out pretty much a five-justice shortlist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, five-judge. Um, you know, I think if he's trying to allay the concerns of some folks, he would go with someone like Brett Kavanaugh, who is surely smart and uh, genial, but that isn't enough yeah, to get you to the no. Supreme Court. <laughs> right. And he has two degrees from Yale. Yes, right. Which certainly would impress uh, Donald <laughs> Trump, I guess, indeed. Oh, man, there's so much. This is so... But what you said you start out with, this is huge, huge impact Absolutely. for the country. Everyone needs to be focused Thanks, on Elizabeth. This. Thanks for coming in. You, the, the USConstitution.org is the website. Check it out. We'll see this you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.